0: Oh, it's a pig!
1: Oh! <laughs> Welcome to the Lake Erie Kayak Anglers Podcast, the podcast designed to make you a better angler. I'm Chuck Earls with Lake Erie Fishing I'm
2: Jason Duca with the Duca Fishing. Today, we're sitting in Chuck's office here, somewhere near Cleveland, Ohio, staring out at our kayaks, So we just got back from the lake after doing a little walleye fishing. And we have uh, Jeff Little now on the phone here to talk a little bit about kayak angling. He's been doing it longer than most of us. Uh, Somewhere, I believe, right around 1998, he got into the sport. And he's just full of knowledge and we're excited to talk to him and see what he's been up to. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, so you said you kind of started in 1998. I would almost think that's uh, before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there was
0: three years where it was three years before I ran into anyone else that was doing it. And yeah. back then, I was um, I was living near DC and fishing in the Upper Potomac River for smallmouth. And I got involved with the Potomac River Smallmouth Club, which is a conservation education and recreational style group. It's not a tournament based thing it's just you know going on uh, club trips to explore new waters each weekend and uh, monthly monthly speakers we'd have fisheries biologists and guides and authors and all sorts of interesting folks uh, that would come to the meetings uh, but then, during the season, I'd say you know uh, even into March, but April through October there would be a a club trip every weekend or every other weekend, and that really expanded my um, my range and in, in number of fisheries that I that I knew about and had had experience on, and most of it was river smallmouth fishing. Um, the way that the club trips were set up back then, everyone was in. Um, Old Town Discovery 158s. So you had to you had to pair people up, and it had to be an even number. Uh, but I, me being in a kayak, I fixed that that oddball number where if you had an, an extra, if you had an odd number, you didn't have to ask somebody to solo a, you know, a, a big canoe on their own, which can be daunting on a very windy day. Uh, and it ultimately. You know, I had been fishing out of out of my parents' uh, 17 foot Grumman aluminum, you know, canoe for years. That's what I grew up fishing the Upper Potomac with. And uh, a really windy day in in early March on the Potomac, where I couldn't make it downstream. Like I, I ended up hopping in the water and dragging it downstream. As absurd as that sound, really strong upstream wind. I said, "There's wow. got to be a, a better way." In you know that the the concept of hey let's let me get a uh you know lower profile boat what would that be And um you know I thought about it in later that spring I had done a camping float trip with a bunch of buddies and uh one of them had an old uh perception pirouette a a sit-in whitewater style kayak that um he wasn't much into fishing, but I was on him. And uh, at some point I hand him the rod and, and they're, they're hitting top water pretty good. And I'm watching him just catching fish one after the other and spinning around in this thing. And I'm like, that's that's it. Not that exactly, but, but that, that was the beginning of it. Now, you know, the gears were turning early season by April or May. I think I had a, um, an old town Loon 138 and uh took it out on the upper potomac and and had flipped it um in in a big log jam uh at the base of a pretty strong class two maybe three rapid and uh kind of popped up and had lost some gear and and said i need an education i need i need to i need to learn something more about this and um
2: Those old town models you're referring to those are canoes correct they're not actually uh kayaks so the
0: the discovery 158 that the 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 potomac river smallmouth club those were all um yeah those were canoes but the the old town loon 138 was a a sit-in kayak it's a 13 and a half foot long sit-in big open cockpit and uh i moved from that to a a, with what the whitewater you know, whitewater enthusiasts referred to as a creek boat. It was a perception access, and it had a skirt, a neoprene skirt, and I fished out of that for years, and did really aggressive whitewater uh, with it on the on the New River, on the Shenandoah, up on the Susquehanna, the Rappahannock a lot. Um, you know, all of the upper tributaries of the Upper Potomac. Uh, we went up and did parts of the Allegheny. Um, you know, we kind of went all over and, and, you know, through my training, I, I had taken a beginning whitewater course and learned how to Eskimo roll and learned all of the whitewater maneuvers and really learned whitewater paddling and and really had no interest in it, in the purest manner of, of whitewater as a sport, mm-hmm. but I knew if I get good at that, I'm going to be able to handle myself on, uh, you know, fishing out of
1: it. In, and most of the most of the situations that you're in is is fast moving water. So you know the the knowledge from those white water guys. I mean, it's it's invaluable to make you a, a safe angler out there.
0: Yeah, things like um, having a good brace, uh, which is when you when you start going over and you you put your paddle flat on the water and you push down, and it just brings the boat back up underneath the the center mass of your weight. Um, things like knowing how to how to reboard thing, you know, hop back on the boat. That is critical. Yeah. And um,
2: moving water, especially because, yeah.
0: So, you know, I, I, I kept on with my education and I earned American canoe association certification as a paddling instructor. And I started a, um, I started a, a kayak fishing guide service slash paddling class in, um, yeah, I did a lot of I, I did a lot of guerrilla marketing, like just going to different paddle shops. At the same time, wilderness systems saw that, hey, this, this guy who's fishing out of our, our kayak, or actually I wasn't even in theirs, but they they reached out to me and started, you know, saying, here, try this, try that. And they they got me in boats and and I used their boats as the the workhorse for uh for the guide service. And and you know, really the it, it was a it was a class it had a had it had a syllabus a curriculum and you're going to learn this 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 you know in in but there were fishing skills layered on top of paddling skills so you learned how to do an eddy turn a peel out a ferry you learned the three different parts of any any paddle stroke you know the, the catch uh power and recovery and how to do those cleanly uh you learned how to to you know when you did the rock broach when you you come downstream onto a rock you lean into it and that that water deflects under it's it's totally not your instinct to do that when you hit a rock your instinct is to get away from the rock whereas you know if you do that you drop your your upstream uh, side mm-hmm. all that water piles up on it yeah. and right away okay um, things like that need to be be trained into somebody and i did it for 10 years and uh in, in those 10 years, obviously, I'm self-promoting my, my you know, my classes, and I wrote a book somewhere in the middle there, and, you know, at the end of 10 years, I changed my regular full-time job, so I did all the classes on the weekends, and, um, in, you know, throughout the week, I was running a kitchen in a nursing home, and I changed at the end of that 10 years to working at a, a different facility in... Uh, it was it was a hostile takeover it was a rough um uh, thing to go into it, you know it was dysfunctional and i had to to um basically i got to the point where i i knew um through things that happened that i couldn't say hey i'll meet you uh at the Motts run landing on the rappahannock at 7 a.m on saturday yeah. because i would be halfway to fredericksburg virginia and get the call from the night nurse saying hey uh we're expecting you know, all this food roll out in 23 minutes, and uh, the kitchen's dark. Oh, you might want to come in. So I realized that's the end of my guiding. That's that's the end of my being able to, to nail down, at least until I got it stabilized. But in the meantime, I said, I still want to teach this. And if I can't teach live, person-on-person, um, I'm going to teach a video camera. And that really enhanced uh that was you know very early you know youtube being a thing and 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 uh i had some other people film me a couple times and then i just started producing content for kayak bass fishing and uh i i published four different dvds uh the first one is a is a video version of the class that i taught for 10 years i mean it's it's paddling instruction for kayak anglers, um, it doesn't touch on on pedal drives. It doesn't touch on motors. It's purely the paddle.
2: Okay.
0: And, and that vi- that DVD is uh, is actually available on YouTube now, and it's it's uh, River Kayak Fishing Skills DVD. Nice. Uh, it's on my U- my YouTube channel called The Little Stuff. But River I, Kayak I do. Fishing
1: Skills DVD. I do want to say that even if you even for the listeners if you are in a pedal drive um the skills that you're teaching are still very very important even if they're not out there just paddling around because there's there's so many things and I know it from coming from the you know the wilderness systems Pungo 140 um, over the years there's a lot of techniques and a lot of ways that I I handle boat control um, that I learned from paddling so right. it, even if you're in a pedal drive, I mean, it's definitely worth the knowledge for sure. Yep.
2: So, if in the rivers, did you deal with a lot of like sit-in kayaks? I mean, it seems like if you're dealing with rolling over and trying to stay in the kayak with skirts and stuff, that they were probably mostly sit-in. I would. Is that is that safer for a river system? You know. Well, <laughs> part of one of the classes I took was swiftwater rescue, and
0: they would they would take a whitewater boat and not have a skirt on it and just and let it fill up with water and and let it drift and jam down in between two rocks and at that point the um there was a drill to to as a group um you know have one person this you know be in command and start calling the shots you do this you do that uh in and you know, you would set up different things to, you know, with with ropes and, and carabiners to extract that boat from being stuck. Okay. Um, I, I got enough understanding of the vulnerability of a sit-in that I realized that sit-on tops that are self-bailing are the better option for for that application, uh, at least for for a from a fishing standpoint. Uh, yeah. You can't get quite as aggressive with your whitewater with it. Um, but for fishing you know it's it's uh it's the less vulnerable platform
2: And if you roll it there's no saving it you're going on the water you know but correct in probably and, not gonna fill up with water right yep okay but
0: yeah i mean it's you know, i went from there to to doing just weekly uh youtube videos for for kayak bass fishing and then i had this other channel that i that was a you know i don't want to say pay-per-view it's a subscription-based thing that i don't really maintain anymore and eventually i put all my stuff back on um on youtube in where i was i was pretty much the river smallmouth guy uh you know the river smallmouth kayak fishing guy for so long i branched out and i started doing things like uh, Chuck, what you and I did together uh, back in March and going after the striped bass in the in the Chesapeake or going after tidal largemouth in the, the tidal Potomac or upper Chesapeake Bay or somewhere in the mix, snakeheads became prevalent in our area and they're a lot of fun. Um, so there's a lot of different species uh, mixed into that channel and I have the I have the channel organized in playlist by
1: species. Wow.
0: So, there's there's a lot of content in there.
1: Yeah, there's a there's definitely a ton of knowledge. There's uh I know you have one playlist in particular that's just kayak safety. And I mean there's hundreds of hours of of really, really valuable knowledge in there. The
0: the big one is uh in, in and you know I you do a good job at it, is the hypothermia prevention because that is what that's what kills us. You know, right. that's that's our um you know that's our not wearing seat belts issue you know that's that's the
2: thing that gets us in i would um, almost think this time of year is most dangerous because we're right on the edge from the water temps being semi-safe and so people see it 70 out but they don't realize the water is still 50 but they're going to go out whereas if it's the middle of winter and it's 32 degrees out and snowing they're not going to go fishing you know but now they're getting antsy and want to get out there.
0: So Thursday and Friday, I was in the Outer Banks of North Carolina filming uh, with, a, um, with a guide service, I was filming them. They're, they're related to one of my Torquedo dealers down there. And the water temperature was like mid to upper 70s. It was nice, okay. uh, but, it had, but the air had gotten cold and the wind was up And um, you know, you could get in the water and, and be comfortable and we were doing a lot of wet wading, hopping out uh, looking for redfish and speckled trout and and you know the filming was good, you know we got what we needed done, but um as the sun got down, it was i mean we had a we had probably a three mile run back to the you know to where we launched and uh and it was not nice. I mean, the wind was up, and it's you know all of us were shivering and and i'd say pre-hypothermic there so even when you're you know that far south and you think oh it's a beautiful 80 degree day and by the end of the day it's in the you know it's in the mid 50s and the wind is blowing and and you're getting wet yeah that'll start wearing on you so you know having the right gear is is pretty critical and um I, I use a lot of NRS stuff and I have different layers for different parts of the, the country that I'm, that I'm, I'm in. Uh, my next trip, I'm going as far north as Maine. And um, uh, I have stops in New Hampshire and Connecticut on the way. And it, you know, by the next month, it'll be down in Texas, probably. I don't know, like I go all over and, and I always have things that, that I can layer up, whether it's a full on dry suit, when you know that if you submerge that you know you're, you' you know the the clock ticking uh, isn't going to tick for very long or whether it's it's you know you just need a, a set of bibs or a rain jacket or, or something to keep you know the the spray off of you to to remain comfortable and, and safe. So But hyper, hypothermia prevention, I do have a video on there that was part of my winter River Smallmouth DVD and i i pulled it out as its own video and uh it talks about the the dry bag that i carry and the ways that you can start a fire quickly and and uh and really save yourself cuz uh there's there's been two times in my life uh where i said it's been a good run <laughs> i'm going to die <laughs> and 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 one involved hypothermia and the other involved putting an anchor down in the wrong place and uh and I made it through each of them somehow the the hypothermia one was um was i think maybe it's hard to say which was more threatening the anchor incident was uh was about 6 minutes of terror and exhaustion and uh the the hypothermia incident was was drawn out over probably 12 14 hours wow. and and you you cease to function normally you know, you, you, you go from being a, and and back when I happened, you know, a very fit, strong 23 year old to, um, moving around, like you're, you know, you're 90 years old and probably have MS, like you just, your body stops doing what you ask it to do sure. um, and having I mean, the I mean, right gears. Can,
2: you can see that on small levels, even like, you know, you're out fishing in cold weather. You can't, undo your snap all of a sudden, you know, or like you can't get the swivel or a new lure on. Um, I've never really thought about stopping, pulling over and starting a fire, but I mean, on the river, I guess that's a pretty good option. You go find some wood and try and get heated up, especially if you're miles maybe from some civilization. You know,
1: I I watched his video and uh, I mean, even after being as aggressive and self-taught as I was, you know, I watched this video and, and there's a couple of things that I added to my dry dry bag after that, like the uh, like the cardboard. I mean, just a simple piece uh, of cardboard, yeah. because it's not only a wind block for your small flame, you know, now it's you're fanning the wind or you're, you're fanning fire. the fire. So um, just little stuff like that you don't really think about, but they can really save yours or somebody else's life you yeah. know, when the time comes. And and really, it's, you know, it's people like you and and people that have been through it that kind of open up our eyes so you just, without
0: knowing it, said the name of the channel, the little stuff, it's, it is the little stuff that makes a difference, you know, and and usually it's, it's with, um, with fishing, whether you're, you know, on the, the Chesapeake, and you're jigging for striper, and you need to know that you, you jig it uphill, and as you're approaching a, you know, a reef, or whether it's, you know some other detail with how how you know how fast your retrieve is uh or or making sure that you're fishing shady areas on the you know on the upper susquehanna river looking for for river smallmouth like it's it's the details and uh certainly that's a detail um of hypothermia prevention and mediation that is, has helped me so uh,
2: how'd you so did you end up um getting involved in some safety stuff or as far as court you taught courses you said or um
0: yeah if if you watch the the river kayak fishing skills dvd uh a lot of that is about um about river safety uh and it's i I just i wanted people to be safe and, and more effective in their uh in there, hopping on a kayak in in a river and and catching fish.
1: Um, no, one thing you had mentioned, um, and and I I preach this on the Great Lakes as well, um, on Lake Erie is we don't we don't anchor down on Lake Erie. There's waves, there's boat wakes. You catch on the wrong thing, it's going to end bad. Um, and yeah. you mentioned, you know, with your situation, anchoring down in a river, you know, which you get in the wrong spot, in the wrong position, in fast moving current. Um, if could you uh could you share some knowledge on that like what 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 advice could you give somebody that's just starting out in the river um so in in that that
0: you know river kayak fishing skills dvds there's there's a whole section on um on maintaining boat position and everything that's in that in that dvd in that little chapter uh involves ways to hold position in current which will also work in wind uh, without um, without dropping an anchor. Um, you know, lining up up your boat, you know, say the wind is like this, and if you line up your boat with it, you're you're gonna hold position better. Um, and on the rivers, we wedge on rocks a lot. so the rocks here, and we'll we'll run up onto it like that. Um, I talk about the one hand paddling that I do, where you hold the fishing rod with this side, and there's a very specific technique. You hold the, the paddle in the center, and you're you're leveraging with your elbow, and then you brace it on this elbow. So the one hand paddling is another one. There's other options. Um, I eventually got to, to use the motors, and uh, I've been using a Torquedo for probably eight or nine years, and that really makes it easy, as does a pedal drive. Um, Eventually, I came back to using using anchors though and i I do have an anchor wizard uh, I've been fishing recently out of a little inflatable kayak and I have one off the one off the bow and one off the stern and it allows me to film um, whatever angle I need to in order to um, you know to film my subject whoever I have that i'm I'm featuring in in the videos that I produce for um for torpedo promotion um i have those two anchors but i have something else that is critical that if you have an anchor i have a an nrs co-pilot knife on my life jacket right here so if you get stuck in say the you know you, you get stuck hard and in in, it's it's pulling the, the bow of your boat under in current that you can reach forward grab that line and cut it and be done with it and, and that's ultimately what happened with my near-death experience with an anchor is um, that I had a friend that had one of those knives on their their life jacket. I didn't have it and I couldn't reach my anchor to cut it, but he came up, he paddled really hard above, you know, I'm I'm anchored there. He drifted down, reached down, cut it, and I was free, but it took him it took them about four minutes to to fight the current to get above to to drift out into in a position. You always want to be in a position where you can do that for yourself. So having that knife um, handy is is uh, is critical if you're going to anchor.
2: Right. So this uh, it might sound like a silly question, but if you're on a sit on top um, and you have anchor problems, I mean, why not just bail out and like figure out the kayak later?
1: I like me I mean I don't fish a whole lot of rivers but my first thought would be like strainers and fast current you don't really know what's going on under there so you bail off your kayak and now you're in that fast current that maybe is faster than you thought it was yeah and you don't really know where it's going to take you
0: yeah you could in my case I wasn't and I was anchored off my stern in a sit-in kayak with a skirt on and I knew the force of the water was strong enough that I couldn't even wet exit with, um, you can't tell, but I'm six foot four. My okay. 36, 36 inch inseam long legs folded over inside that kayak were not coming out.
2: Oh, okay. The way
0: that they normally would need to.
2: The pressure coming from behind, yeah. I've been flipped sense.
0: upside down and held in place until I drowned, and I, oh, and I knew that. Sure. And it was, I mean, the kayak was, can you guys see the pen? Yeah anchored this way
2: so and straight it, off the it, it was whipping
0: back and forth crazy. like this and eventually it went all the way around in and, and i didn't flip but i ruddered with the with the um with the paddle such that i could, I stayed upright um okay. it was exhausting wow I mean, it, was, it was a it was the equivalent of a, a six minute full-on sprint to save my life just to stay upright while my buddy Figured out a way to get in place to do it. So,
1: who was out with you that day?
0: Uh, my buddy Kurt Long, who I haven't I haven't talked to, and he was my fraternity brother at the University of Maryland, and and I haven't fished with him in years. But he did save me.
2: Hmm. So, what? Any like quick advice on how to not get in that situation? Like, where, where? Do you think you just put it in a bad position, or something you did in the kayak that caused he it? Here,
0: here's the thing. I've I've um. I have, you know, 10 years of guiding in in kayak fishing with countless people, so many different people in in many, many as rookies. Um, Whether we mean to or not, when we're new at this, we do stupid stuff. We don't know that it's stupid. We're just ignorant to the fact of no, 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 don't do that the the thing that saves us is if you go with someone who's more experienced than you that they can point out hey what i see you about to do is gonna hurt yeah don't do that right Um, and and whether that be a guide or or just someone in a you know i think tournaments actually are are a good thing in terms of keeping people safe because people go to tournaments and they get in groups and they They go, you know, together to the same places and they learn from each other. Um, But it doesn't have to be that setting. It it can just be, you know, a bunch of buddies that are showing each other the ropes. There's always someone who has a little bit more experience. And as the case was with my buddy, Kurt, if you're you're new to this and, and you're alone, I wouldn't have made it out. But because I had someone with me, I made it out. So... You know, go do kayak fishing with with friends. Um go out with someone who's done it longer than you have. Um be hungry for for learning, learning, you know, learning safety and learning, you know, learning learning how to catch more fish, you know, because that's you know, that's why we're out there is to is to figure them out and enjoy that that part of the puzzle. But but you learn more by going with people that, that have more experience than you. And, and the other part of that, though, is a lot of the lessons. And and I, you know, I do a lot to um, to teach what I've learned once I figure something out. And and that's what that that YouTube channel was about, and that's what my my classes were about. And I do a lot with illustrations. This is a notebook that I used in one of my videos that. I had learned something about straight bass on the on the Chesapeake Bay or here's one on fishing you know deep grassy grassy points for largemouth in the post spawn period you know you when you when you've learned something you solidify and and firm up that lesson by turning around and teaching it to somebody else yeah right. um, and that's one of the things that makes the sport so great is that that and and I see it across lots of different categories of of fishing you know the the professional fast boat angler or or walleye tournament angler someone who's who's in that competitive mode maybe they're a little bit more guarded yeah they're going to do seminars to support their sponsors and do all that stuff but but kayak fishing is still in that phase where we hold fewer secrets and we're we're more interested in in the teaching and learning that's just Hoping one aspect yep. of and what
1: sport is helping more people get out on the water and enjoy it yep it's a it's a generous sport absolutely
2: youtube is a great uh resource too i mean if you don't have fishing buddies um like you said you post all the stories and kind of stuff that you went through and it's on youtube so i think if you find certain personalities that you can follow that have a history of being safe out on the river and had bad experiences and then turned around and put that up on youtube for you to learn that's also a good way to go about if you don't necessarily have a crew like some of us do uh, to go out together, but I've been even fishing tricks and techniques. Like I, I love going on YouTube now and just learning new stuff here and there, but, um,
1: and I'll definitely link your your YouTube channel down there as well as the, uh, the different segments that way everybody can find, um, what I think is invaluable information. Um, because, you know, like you said, man, we just, uh, we got to stay safe out there and we got to constantly learn from each other and uh and keep each other safe
2: so you um now you've you've kind of made a go at or you do uh rely on all the funds from fishing now you kind of got out of your other line of work and now you do this full-time in some fashion
0: i i made the transition from doing whatever i was doing before which was healthcare food service to to making a living at um at something that's related to kayak fishing or fishing in general um and it's it was a scary you know leap of faith to make at 41 years old to you know to you know after 20 some years of of you know doing what I did um in healthcare to doing something completely different which Initially, I mean my position is sales manager, but I always had this this skill set of of teaching <laughs> of marketing in in doing other things within the sport that you network with people and in, in in a lot of the who you knows and and who you've who you've taught and who you've learned from come into play there and that's that's what's worked for me but um, I will say that I've seen people who are Maybe not as who, who don't have you know twenty five years of experience in this sport who came to it much later who have um, who've made a career of it in in a much shorter time frame in the the difference between a lot of people because everyone wants to you know it, everyone says you living the dream and and it's it's great and and i wish i could do that the the difference between the people that do it and the people that that just wish is there's a difference between a goal and a wish and in my um, I, I think it was a wish for me for for 20 some years uh, in in the part that that kind of shoved me off the cliff and said fly do it um, was a change in the industry i was in that it it imploded it just I was no longer able to, I was good at what I did, but I was no longer able to support my family doing what I did. Uh, and it's related to Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates in nursing homes. It was a mess. And, you know, and I went after all of my contacts, you know, first with Wilderness Systems and, and, uh, and then second with, um, with Torquedo and with Wilderness Systems, they said, yeah, we'll hire you. Uh, but we need you to move to Greenville, South Carolina. My wife's a dairy farmer here in Maryland. And she's like, I know she's not leaving her farm and I'm not leaving her. So that wasn't an option. Torquito took a while for, for them to say, um, y- yes, uh, we, we, I mean, they always, it was Steve Turkle that said, yeah, we, we definitely want you, but we can't fit you in this, this uh, financial year, which ends in October. So I waited most of You know, the summer and into the fall before they they uh, you know they brought me on full time. It wasn't really the position that I'm doing now, um, but eventually I got to where I'm of maximum benefit to them. And in my lifestyle now is uh, I think early on I had to learn sales manager skills in in the traditional method of 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 coming up with a um a cold calling route driving around the country and just popping in different paddle shops and in and, and having rigged boats and saying you got a few minutes come come look at my boats and uh in the motors we have on there and and that was in in a lot of paddle sports um traditional paddle sports shops they're like motors get out of here i don't i don't want to hear that <laughs> yeah. and and it it really, uh, it, and I had a good, I think uh, 2019 was good for me in terms of, of adding dealers. Um, I think I visited 117 and I brought on 29 of them. And I, I traveled extensively, yeah. but I was doing it the traditional way. In the, the shift, in the way that I always know would work better. Um, was driving it from the bottom up with with good marketing, and and that's what I do now. And that didn't really get recognized as as something that that moves the needle until COVID. Um, mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that was the. And I know this sounds horrible because it's it's been a horrible pandemic, and it's it's killed family members for some people. But for what it did, you know, for me professionally, all of the things that. I had to do cold calls, visiting dealers, uh, doing all as many trade shows as possible, um, whatever. Just going, going and doing things the way they had always been done, stopped.
1: Right. Yeah. Stopped
0: abruptly, you know, what, fourteen months ago, and they were like, "What do we do?" I said, "I know what to do. Exactly. I'm, I'm going fishing with my video camera." And right. I'm I'm gonna get in front of as many people using our product as possible. On John boats, uh well, Chuck, you and I tried it on the on the uh as a kicker motor on a walleye boat. Uh on kayaks, I just I went into overdrive producing content and yeah. and then you know, here and there they they let me sponsor some of the content and sales took off in and, and it took you know, a sales organization that had been doing things the traditional way with traditionally slow incremental growth to, to letting them do it my way. Cause it was the only option during a pandemic Sure, right. to, to see it not grow slowly incrementally, but go straight up and wow. and social media in, in video production with a good product can do that the, right. the, with a good product. Um, I was part of that as well. Um, so we've always had the the 400 watt motor it's a it's a one horsepower and when I started with Torquito uh I I talked to someone in service I said if you have an old you know pylon which is just the motor part of it of a travel motor which is what what you know the traditional transom mounted not kayak motor I'm like if you have one of those that you can spare can you send it my way I want to try something and they they kind of Gave me one and said, "Well, what? I don't know what you're doing, but here, this one's this one's been, you know, in the corner and written off as a, you know, service uh, whatever." And uh, and I found a way to put it on a Hobie Pro Angler 14. And I went over six mile an hour and I produced a video that that showed what was possible. I put foot control steering on it and I produced a video that I didn't show to many people. I pitched it to Hobie. And then I took it to wilderness systems after putting it on one of their boats and said, you know, you're going to have an exclusive deal on this. I'll give you two years before we do anything with anyone else. And they turned it down. They didn't see the, the potential. And then I, then I showed it to someone at the top that one of the two people that started Torquedo is two German guys that are, that like to go boating on a, on electric only lake in Germany and, and they made their own motor and everyone said, that's really cool. Well, where'd you get it? And they said, we made it. Can, can you make another and another? And that's how that company started. I talked to the one of the two guys that started that and he saw it. He understood it. He was like, yeah, that totally needs to be our next step. And, and it, it, my tinkering and making something that I thought would be cool and, and really just proving concept and i'll tell you the mount that i came up with was was scary i look i still look at that video and think i don't know how that didn't come unglued yeah but it, it but it but it started what we have now and it took years of my going back and forth to germany and working with uh with the product development team to design a new mount for the 403 and then and then starting to work with a similar but, but more powerful or or stronger, more durable mount for the 1103 and, and putting more power on the back of the kayak and, and then testing it on so many different boats all you know, along the way over the course of uh, three years. You know, I've been picking away at that. So I've been doing, yeah, I've been doing a sales job, but I've also been doing a marketing job, and I've also been doing a a product development job at the same time. And and now I have this product that just, I think our our uh, at the peak of our back order, we had 174 of them back ordered. In Chuck ears was one
1: of them. Uh, but you have it now Um, it's in my garage waiting to uh get put on the back of my kayak yeah
0: (laughs) well what it does is it opens up a whole lot more range in your exploration yeah it's fun to go you know over seven mile an hour in a kayak sure but that's not really what it gives you what it gives you is is the ability in in chuck you and i did it we we did what 19.2 miles wow. on the pedal drive when i was there you know last last fall
1: um oh yeah oh yeah
0: and and yeah you can do things like that but the longest day i've had with the 1103 was on the chesapeake and i covered i covered uh 41.8 miles in a day
2: wow Right. Yeah,
0: we pull faster for for striped bass than you do for walleye. But to
2: to backtrack a little, I I think you're you're a perfect example. You know, people come up, they want to make a career out of being a whatever a fisherman or a kayak fisherman. They don't see what goes into the work, and I've seen it personally with of work. Yeah, with Chuck, I've kind of watched him over the last year and what he does in the background, making videos, editing, like all that stuff. And he's really grinding to try and make a go at this. Um, and and you said it yourself. You have, you wear a lot of different hats. You know, sales manager. You do video content and stuff like that. And uh, for anybody listening, you know, it's not easy. You got to really keep pushing ahead, and uh, you know, putting a lot of work in before you finally see something at the end, if if ever. Right. Um, but you know, it's uh, the other part
0: of that. I'm going to I'm going to speak to the. It's very similar with the the people who with kayak bass fishing or the hobby yeah, bass open series or the BASS, the people who are um, at the top of that game it, it are are doing it full time and they and they make a living and it and it works. Those people have something in common. Um, and it goes one of one of two opposite directions, but it accomplishes the same thing. Either they do not have a significant other huh. or they have a significant other who's a hundred percent in and is their greatest asset.
2: Sure. Right. Um,
0: you know, I I interviewed Russ Snyder's in um, you know, when I was down in Alabama last week and and that video's doing well and and he's 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 in the lead of the angler of the year race for two of the three tournament trails I mentioned, uh, and he's usually one and two back and forth with Jody Queen, who I'll be filming with in Connecticut uh, later this month. And I'm gonna I'm gonna chronicle his pre-fishing um, regimen, what he does to learn a body water he's never been on, and then I'm gonna follow him through the tournament and and really document what it is he does. Um, but, you know Russ is not married um it and and he doesn't have kids and he just goes and he does and and he's badass like he just he's an amazing angler to watch but he has nothing he is no one saying you know no wait a minute no one slows him down right. he just does he really does on the flip side you have Jody Queen who who has has his wife uh Vicky, who is is a hundred percent supportive and and travels with him some, but is I know just from from stopping off and and crashing on his couch a lot that I know Vicky and and she's she's without reservation a hundred percent supportive of him. And and I think initially he went to her and said, this is what I, I want to do. But I cannot do it without you and your support and And she was all in from the beginning. so sure. and and you know, I had some of that discussion with my wife when I said, yeah, i can I can go get another food service job. Um, but it's been pretty miserable, and you you guys haven't seen that much of me. And the thing that I think I can do, I would jump right in and, it'd be more of not seeing that much of me, but then there'd be times where you see, where I'm home for a week or, you know, and I didn't know totally what it would be, but that's really what it it has been. And I do have a supportive wife and she's, you know, she doesn't slow me down from it. Um, and, and a lot of it is the communication that that goes on and, you know, you need that support system though
1: you do you know and and it's it's a sacrifice for both parties but at the end of the day you know to have a true solid relationship that's beneficial for both i mean you really want the other person to be the most happy doing exactly what they want to do you know yeah. so like your wife for example um Jessica i mean she she supports your your run and um she lets us go out and fish for 18 hours you know two three days in a row um that's that's just that's very important
2: yeah there's a lot of travel a lot of nights on the road a lot of nights away from home and to make uh to make it work like you guys are like you have and i think chuck's pretty close hopefully to to doing as well but um i'm really excited to hear about the torpedo i think we're going to take a couple minute break here and uh refresh the coffee and then get back into the Torquedo Motors which I'm excited to
1: yeah I definitely want to do a little bit of a deep dive into Torquedo Um, not just because I just got mine Um, but uh, it it it's infatuating for me Uh, the first time i seen it when you came out on Lake Erie and you told me what you what you wanted to do and I'm like nobody has tried to do this with an electric outboard you know and uh, and it just bloomed from there so we'll take a short break and then uh, we'll dive into that cool all right. We will be back after the short break. Brought to you by Keel Armor, protecting your kayak investment from the harshest marine environments you can encounter. Check us out at Keel Armor at Facebook. All right, guys, we are back. I have uh Jeff Little here with us. Uh he is the sales manager for Torquedo. Um uh, if you don't know, is the most powerful electric outboard on the market, right? Yep. It's it. It's more than that. It's it's the uh,
0: the breadth of of what kind of boat you can power with it. Um, you know, we start with one uh, one horsepower uh, ultralight for the kayak, uh, and then go all the way up to a hundred kilowatt system that you know pretty much has commercial applications. It's it's uh, it works out. So it's about one hundred and thirty five horsepower. Um, the the challenge there is that you need a place to put all the batteries. When you get up to that size, it's it's using the same battery that the BMW i3 car uses. Really, in finding a place to to put multiple you know fairly large car size car footprint size batteries is is a challenge. You know, mm-hmm. people think uh, oh cool uh, let's put that that hundred kilowatt on a bass boat. No no no, you're, you're you'd <laughs> sink. <it. laughs> um but you know most of what is sold is the is the three horsepower travel in in terms of volume and uh they've they've primarily been sold in the uh in the sailing market where people just get frustrated with gas motors people sail people who sail hate gas motors because it's not primary to the activity that they're doing it's a necessary evil in And they're not—they're just not good with with gas motors in in general. Uh, they're reluctant to use them if they can, you know. If they can get out of a marina on wind, they will do it. I know because I grew up sailing with my grandpa on the Chesapeake Bay, and and um, we would have, uh, you know, at the the height of of. The heat and humidity in the mid-Atlantic uh, in August, and and we could see the slip. We'd say, "Come on, Grandpa, fire up the motor," and he's like, "I nah, won't well, way to come up. We'll just we'll stop right in there." And it's just like, so, oh. but you know, it, the the three horsepower is is the one that's we sell the most of, and it's it's uh, you know that that's, that's the one that we eventually adapted that model to the kayak that we're getting over you know my my top speed you saw it Chuck was uh seven seven point six mile per hour in the uh, in a 15 and a half foot sit on top kayak.
1: Yeah I know uh most of them not I I did not know what I was in for. I mean you you told me to eat my Wheaties when I came down. Um, and, uh, I wasn't expecting 40 miles in a pedal drive <laughs>
0: right? over right.
1: two days, but, you know, I wanted to touch on one thing. Um, and then we'll get back to the Torquedo, uh, you do a lot of, uh, conservation stuff and a lot of cleanups and stuff like that. And that's, that's very near and dear to my heart as well. And when you were talking about your grandfather and, and his philosophy with sailing and, you know, using wind power and all that, it, I couldn't help, but think is. Was he a big influencer in the way that you you know care for the environment and uh
0: here here's what I saw as a a a little guy uh on on grandpa's sailboat and and I got a little bit of a flashback uh, from it because I was I I was in Manio, North Carolina the last couple of days filming for OBX on the fly, and my Airbnb was a little 26, 27 foot, you know, oh, yes. um, <laughs> little sailboat in a marina, that, and and I slept on a sailboat down in Mania, which was nice. But that was the same size as my my grandpa's um, Pearson Commander uh, was was the you know the make of of uh, little sailboat that we went out on on the Chesapeake's uh, you know Crab Alley Bay and Eastern Bay and and out to Poplar Island and back. And what I saw was in the memories that i have of that were was a man who who raised his his kids um my mom and my mom has three brothers a a twin brother an older brother and a young brother so he raised four kids on that boat and i don't mean that they lived on it but every weekend they were they were on that boat and they all knew how to handle it and they they enjoyed it but the wind would come up and Anybody with any sense would 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 look at it and be be terrified and just think we're all going to die out here, and and Grandpa would have that that boat with the mast like this and yeah. the keel like that, and you were hauling ass, and he <laughs> would refuse to pull sails down, <laughs> and he'd say, you know, and and, and like my mom you know my uncles would be like dad it's it's time we gotta he's like no this is you know it doesn't get any better than this and, <laughs> it, and the other people that are white as a ghost and there's grandpa the old man with like this this grin of of that you can only describe as someone who feels the most alive
2: gratification
0: and, and i just said well clearly he's been in worse <laughs> and uh, and this is this is par for the course for him and he loves it. And, and I think that influences, you know, a little bit of, of the enjoyment that I have in nature and, and I, I, I respect the forces um, in in do you know sometimes where it's like okay I've had enough it's it's time to get out of the way. Um, but. But you do feel the most alive when when you're in nature and and especially seeing and feeling and experiencing the beautiful things that that are out there in nature. Uh, at the same time, I care about it a lot. And you know, I've raised my kids to to care about it and i have I have two sons. Uh, and my older son Sawyer, is is uh, takes it personally and and is is you know pretty much a crusader for. you know clean it up and and we live on a farm here in maryland and uh you know he he routinely cleans the roadside around here but we we take it beyond that we've done uh we've taken my i was 16 foot inflatable which chuck you were on when we we did the the steelhead thing and some smallmouth and the quarry with uh with sean and you know We took that because it's a bigger platform than a than a kayak, and we, you know, we go to different places. We've done two on the Patapsco downstream from Baltimore, and there there are places where where nature collects the the garbage we throw at her, and 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 there's just mountains of plastic. And and I have a YouTube on the YouTube channel. You can see um, two of those cleanups. There's one on the Susquehanna we did last summer, and it's wherever there's there's big jumbles of like. Um, like jumbles of wood from where when you have higher water and like a big eddy and it's and it's all this big lattice you know mountain of logs and stuff and there's so much trash in there Mm -hmm. Uh, on the patapsco we've done two cleanups recently and we we did a video on one uh this spring but it's guys you can you can seriously walk for um about not quite half a mile along the key bridge downstream from baltimore and you're in in mid shin to kneecap deep single use it's soda bottles and it's in it's beer cans and it's in it's water bottles and it's and it's mostly plastic um and that's just our society anymore is okay i'm gonna drink this and then it goes out the window and, and it collects in certain places and, and it's really just mountains of it in in you know sawyer my son is very educated on the the great pacific plastic reef and blah 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 and i'm like yeah but you don't have to go that far like it's here it's it's places that i catch stray bass and smallmouth bass and you know a lot of um <clears throat> a lot of Water quality issues in the Mid-Atlantic that have impacted our our smallmouth bass in particular. The Upper the Potomac, the Maryland Department of Natural Resources is, for the first time ever last year, stocking smallmouth bass because they are not getting the job done of reproduction. They look at the histology, which means you you take a you take a fish out of the river, and and kill it. And you and you slice it up and look at the microscope, you look at the liver, you look at the and they looked in the in the testes, the testicles of a of a smallmouth bass internally, and you can look at it and it's growing eggs. So female part, you know, female, it's the eggs. There shouldn't be eggs in in the testes of a of a male fish. And and what causes that, right? Well, it's a they say just generally it's, um, endocrine disruptors. Well, that's like saying carcinogen. How many different compo- compounds in, in the world can be carcinogenic? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't point specifically to this or that or whatever, but they know that the endocrine system of, of these fish has been messed up wow. by what it wow. could be. And there's lots of theories, wow. uh, and it could be, you know, that all the birth control pills and the chemicals that go through the wastewater treatment, our body, you know, doesn't doesn't process them, it doesn't metabolize or change them. They 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 the way they come out is the same way they went in. So they get out into the water and, and maybe that's what acts on them, but it could also be, you know, it, it, you could also have the plastics that could come from these bottles or from, you know, a a uh a Yamamoto Senko that the fish just ate and, and, and tore the tail off. It could be something we're doing. We don't know. You just don't know. But it's uh, it, it, certainly the amount of plastics in our rivers is, is uh, in, in our waters, in the bay, and, and certainly out in the ocean. You know, it's a, it's a material that we did not have. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I've seen some stuff. 70,
0: 80 years ago? We didn't have that
2: how it's just getting pummeled into microplastics. And then, you know, obviously the fish are feeding off the bottom and they're yep. eating all those microplastics and it's just not good for the system at large. So mm-hmm. what do you guys do? You go on these big trips and you just have trash bags and do you pretty much as a team or?
0: Yeah. And, you know, he and I just, you know, we, we do it here locally. We just walk around and, and the, the farm here is big enough. There's always a need to pick up the beer cans from you know where we're growing the hay or the straw right up there whatever it's there's always a need here locally but then we'll go to these places where when I'm out fishing and I look and I say wow that's a whole lot in one spot let's go there (laughs) and just and just spend the day taking multiple trips to and from that spot collect as much as we can load it up in the back of my eight foot bed of my f-150 take it to the the local you know recycling center or dump or whatever and get some of it out and it's and it's it's amazing it just when you find these areas that the wind and the current places all that stuff I mean think about it Chuck where where is it in the Cleveland area there's got to be one riprap shoreline that is like wow look at that you You, know it it really you probably go out too far do you get in close enough where you're just like yeah. That's, oh yeah. That's yeah. An easy the, use plastic bottles,
1: especially like some of the areas around Cleveland. Um, and it's not it's not necessarily because of, you know, that area or anything like that. Um, there's a lot of the trash flows actually through the sewer systems, um, yep. out from the cities. Yep. And it goes right into Lake Erie. Well, you know, it might be out there for five years until it gets to the point where the wind and the waves actually bring it to shore. And then right. certain areas, it'll, you know, just line it up along the shoreline. Um, but one thing I've noticed is it's, it's not just trash that's from today. I mean, some of this stuff has got to be in the water for, you know, a decade or more. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's the important thing uh, to take away is, you know, everybody wants to point it, you know, it's somebody else's job. Well, you know, it, it takes a village because these people that it is their job to clean up, they're doing it. They're doing it. They just can't do it all, you know. Yeah. So as, as a community, um, we have to take that initiative. And you know, like you, for example, I mean that is that is an awesome father son experience to go out there and do something, especially because Sawyer feels so so deeply in his heart that that's important to him, you know. Right. And uh, that comes from you teaching the you know future generations um in in your eyes the way that it should be and, and i think that's that's really you know um something that everybody should try to do one of
0: my dealerships down in uh st augustine florida it's a tackle shop it's uh david hernandez is the guy that runs it and uh you know he he believes in in torpedo as being something that helps cl- keep the water clean and and supports it on that level um beyond it just being a really effective tool to cover a lot of ground and catch a bunch of fish that maybe you wouldn't have explored that far but he has at his register a a stack of and it's if you've ever worked in food service you know the kind of bag that that they put onions in that is kind of that mesh you know um onion sack you know 50 pound onion sack um he has those at the register that I guess some local organization had printed in, in the, what's printed on there. It's, it's the up arrow, the number two and the letter U as in it's up to you to make the difference. Here's a, here's a tool that you can, when you go out fishing, you can pick up some of this stuff. And, right. you know, I ran into the same thing at a paddle shop in uh, it was uh Terrapin Creek outfitters in, in I can't even tell you the name of the town, but it's in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. <laughs> it's uh, and they did the same thing. It's a it's a like a Coosa River Alliance or something like that where they have the onion sacks. And, you know, there are organizations that that try to encourage that and, and, and let, you know, have the people that are are traditionally the ones out there with uh you know with coolers full of beer cans that that chug it and then and then dump it uh turn into the hey we're the ones that shuttle you and uh here's something for you to pick up some trash and in it's that sort of culture change that needs to happen long term for for it to be socially unacceptable again to do that i know that when i visited germany to do the product development for the mount for the um you know, for the the newer motors, um, I had extra days uh, before before I flew back home, and, and I went hiking. You know, I went up in the in the Alps and just you know honestly wandered for you know sixteen to twenty miles a day for two days and loved it, really enjoyed it. Um, but the one thing I noticed, I'm like, what's different here is that the culture of of Germany there is no litter there's none you don't see it and and i would imagine that that comes from a certain pride of of if somebody does it someone's going to call them on it and and we're not there as a country we're just not there it might happen here and there um we'll confront each other about any number of things but that's just for whatever reason not there um and I'm not saying necessarily that's the way. I think the way is to is to turn it turn it over with the next generation. That's what I'm trying to do. And and I had you know I had Sawyer and Cooper picking up trash on on our road when they were little guys. And I think that impacted you know hey this is this is important. You know we live in a beautiful place. We really do. And it takes work to keep it that way.
1: You know so, I will tell you uh, one of the best feelings as a parent, and I know you you can you know, back me up on this is when you're out in nature and your kid or my daughter, Julia, for example, she's like, dad, hold on. And she runs over and picks up a couple of bottles that, you know, maybe I didn't see, you know, and it's like, we were, we were just going for a hike and that's what she's thinking, you know, just like Sawyer. I mean, this is, this is instilled in them. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, uh, awesome achievement, you know, to be able to
2: it's a great trait to show the future generations to have. I know I, I grew up on 10 acres back where I, I grew up and trash day, we'd walk the, you know, the street line of the property and grab as much as we could and kind of do your part. And I think that's the biggest thing is some people just, I don't know, like they're at a party and kind of disregard and make a mess for everybody to see. And um, I guess there's gotta be the other side of it where you, know, you take an initiative to clean up for those maybe that aren't doing their part but uh, it's definitely, it definitely makes an impact overall if we can all, you know, try and do it a little bit here and there. For sure. For sure. But so as far I, I'm more, I'm excited now to kind of transition into the torpedo stuff because I was just out in the garage and uh, Chuck's got his motor sitting out there and I was kind of blown away just uh, at the motor <laughs> itself. And I'm pretty excited for him to get it mounted up on the kayak so we can see what it can do. But did you say that three horsepower motor is kind of what you see a lot of use on the kayaks at least? So it's been out.
0: So we've had the, the Ultralight has been out for, um, go away, for over, I think it's nine years that the Ultralight's been out. And then the 1103 came out um, early last year. And in its, in its existence, we've had them um, in stock a total of 14 days. And that was, you know, that was the middle of last August. Like everything else has been pre-sold. So now it's a, it's a newer product and it's, it's doing well. And it's at least in the, well, for sure in the competitive kayak fishing Circuits that are out there, uh, where where it's allowed, and and there's very few of them that that don't allow them anymore for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's it's something that can, it really gives you that competitive advantage to. And, and I would say most of those those tournaments are won in in pre-fishing um, that people get there two three days ahead of time, and they and they just see a lot of the lake, and they you know they figure out where they don't want to be they yeah, limit right. you a lot of water and then they get to focus on two or three places that that they believe yeah this is this is you know where i can do well so
2: so what do you when you say 1103 what are you getting out of that as far as like horsepower and so it's like
0: it's a three horsepower equivalent or it's a 105 pound thrust if you're if you're trying to compare it to a trolling motor it's I don't like comparing them to trolling motors because it's an electric outboard. It's it's different. Um, with with electric motors, um, anything from you know, um, you know, electric power tools to to the little fan motor in my laptop that is in front of me. You you have um, you have brushed motors and then brushless motors. The the brushless motors. Um, are better because they're going to be more as powerful in year nine as they they are when they're brand new. The brushed motors, which is your, you know most of your traditional trolling motors, although some of them are switching over to brushless, um, they have contact points. And I know I did a video with Jody Queen um, some years ago that he explained it really well because he used to run a, um, I think he had a motor guide on his that you know that in the first year he was getting, you know, say 3.4 miles per hour out of, and at the end of the, you know, the first year it was down to 2.9 and then he changed the battery and it was still only getting, you know, went back up to three mile an hour. It's that those, those electrical contact points of the brush, um, they just wore out, and you you lose the power. So that's one part of it. But the design is is totally different. In the 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 Torquedo uses rare earth magnets, which are six times more powerful per weight. Um, they're they're crazy expensive. Uh, but they you know there's a lot more power and a lot more torque involved in that over say a ferrite magnet that a that a regular motor electric motor uses. Uh, More than that, the the traditional, you know, um, motor is your copper coil and your magnet goes inside and it spins the magnet when, you know, when you give it electricity and it spins a fan blade or or whatever you're powering. Uh, When they they came up with this design, instead of magnet in the middle, they put a bell housing with lots of magnets around the, the outer perimeter. So more magnets, more torque, more you know more powerful magnets by a magnitude of six a lot more torque what do you do with all that torque um you transfer it to a propeller that is instead of moderately pitched like a high rpm trolling motor that just spins really fast lots of little bites into one that's aggressively pitched so those so each turn is just taking big bites of water and putting it behind so what that means in terms of if you're out there on a really super windy day or you're fighting a a lot of current or whatever it is um you don't when you're up against that wind you you don't have as much slip as you do with a traditional trolling motor it just has better bite and it it yeah it just moves you better
2: and that's Um, designed to uh, the motor is designed to handle that because i assume with more torque torque you're putting a lot more load on the actual uh, um yeah, all
0: those yeah. things that i said the the, the motor design is is yeah. designed specifically and they they design the propeller specifically for each motor they pair it up they're not saying, let's just pull this one off the shelf and and see how that does no they they know they know it's optimal performance and they build a their their prop designers actually a a guy that does it for uh Big commercial ships that they're they're propeller blades that are like if you and I were standing next to it we'd you know we'd only go maybe a third of the way up one of the blades you know (laughs) he makes them for submarines too like it's it that that guy is is uh is brilliant and and you know when you're doing something on that scale you you got to have it right
2: right yeah he's
0: also designing ones for our little
2: interesting uh, I wonder if we'll uh, ever, ever see a variable pitch props on on a torpedo or something along those because those bigger boats have to vary the pitch of them
0: so they, they change them i know that the the ultralight 1103 you can put two different props on And it used to come with the one that that uh chuck you and i tested with the the travel motor the travel motor head is the same as the ultralight 1103 head um the prop that we used on on the walleye boat was was the standard one that is good for the boats that are closer to the three thousand pound uh, top end limit of of what that motor can push. They do better with the heavier boats. But the the one that's standard now, the weedless prop that's that's on your motor, uh, is is designed differently and it actually gets better speed with lighter boats. And that sort of follows suit with some of our other motors, we have the um, the cruise motors, which are five, eight, or 20 horsepower. In, um Chuck, I had the one with the, the eight that on mine, 16 foot inflatable, I hit a top speed of 10.4 uh, miles per hour.
1: On that seascape, I remember we were in the river and people were yelling at us to stop throwing wake.
2: Are you planning <laughs> out at 10 miles an hour or just? pushing lot most,
0: <laughs> most of them know it's you're, you're still within the displacement range of speed but the the definition of planing is that you have gone fast enough that your boat and even the position of where the propeller is has climbed up onto your own wake so okay. we don't quite do that uh the there are some examples of like a, a small rigid inflatable with the cruise 10.0 which is a 20 horsepower that one can plane um but it it still achieves a, a rate of speed that is is super efficient, you know, given that you know that amount of power.
2: So I, I mean, I remember as a kid being in a small dinghy or inflatable, you know, ten horsepower motor, and I think you could plane out pretty easy on that. But the weight of a inflatable, I would say, is maybe comparable to a to a kayak. But I don't know if the, I don't know if the gas motor versus ten horsepower electric motor if that translates exactly um to the same so thing
0: they they do a lot to try and give a, a comparable comparison but it's still apples and oranges oh, like yeah. they're, they're people want to hear horsepower people want to hear pound thrust in in sure. they they do what they can to measure the torque at the at the shaft at the output shaft and then translate to what that amount of energy that's that's transferring to the the propeller means in terms of of what an equivalent um combustion engine would be so you know you you have your motor here and with a torquedo, the power is generated in the motor right here next to the prop
2: sure
0: whereas with a gas motor there's a transfer of power that is made topside. Sure. there's a linkage it goes down to the lower unit and goes out and every time it it turns or transfers with a gear or whatever, there's a loss of power. Whereas if you have the motor here and the propeller here, it's it's much closer to where it is, and it you know it's just more efficient. Hmm.
2: So yeah, it makes sense.
0: Does it truly? Um, is it truly a a three horsepower motor? Does it actually produce? Three horsepower worth of, of energy? No. It's a three horsepower equivalent.
2: Okay.
0: When we're asking the, you know, for, for people's comprehension, okay, let's compare it to a gas motor. The amount of of power coming out at the shaft, amount of torque there, is the same as what a three horsepower could deliver okay. by, by, by stair stepping down through those gear, you know, oh, yeah. from the from the the engine top side to the lower unit, which is there's a there's a loss in in yeah you know, it's not as efficient.
2: How, one thing that I've always wondered, you know, we're on kayaks, the possibility of tipping over is real. Like is that acceptable with a torquedo on the back or
0: do you have that- a kill switch which should be attached to your life jacket so that if you go over and I actually have a, a video that shows it doing it. Um, I did a video um, that's on the the little stuff channel called uh, "Reboarding: The The Kayak Fishing Skill That Could Save Your Life." And as I go over it, and, and we went out in in December on the Susquehanna River, and and I got the dry suit on, and I and I did it. I you know I, I intentionally flipped the kayak. Um, you know, first with it empty, and then I did it again with a black pack and, and rod holders and other stuff that creates some resistance, but you could, um, you could see, I had the motor on there and everything, that when I go over, it, it, the the kayak flipped, some part of me is I'm going over, hits the throttle, kicks it into full speed reverse, Jeez! Oh, it, it takes the motor, and, and jumps out of the, you know, out of the, the mount on the back comes up top side sputtering and spinning and then flops down and by then it's it cuts off okay well it cuts off right as i'm leaving the boat and the the kill switch which is attached to my life jacket comes off so there's a magnetic kill switch that sits on the throttle
2: okay
0: it's your safety feature that you never want to just put the magnet on there and not attach it to you because sure. then you have a motor that's going in the water with you, and you're in the water. So, the kill switch is is pretty critical that you need to have that attached to your life jacket.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. It's like running on a treadmill <laughs> and the, fall off. Uh,
1: as far as the battery it's itself, the battery floats, right? the The battery
0: on the the ultralight four oh three floats. The battery on the eleven oh three sinks at about a rate like this.
1: Okay, really
0: now the it's not going to sink because you're attached at one end with the cable that goes to the motor and the other end it's attached to the the cable that goes to the throttle so it's tethered by two different things so people are concerned about that it's like well i could see maybe if you took a spare battery which you should just find a way to you know i use these little um they're uh they're these quick I don't even know what you you call it them. It's rubberized little wire things that I that I wrap around the uh you know around the deck webbing on the on the back of the kayak.
1: Yeah, interesting. But
0: the whole system is IP sixty seven rated waterproof, which means you can submerge it up to a meter deep for half an hour. No water gets in it. Um, people who do the DIY route with with you know lithiums or agm batteries they have to build a battery box and even those sometimes fail i i i built one for my dakota lithium 23 amp hour to power my hummingbird helix 10 and i i had a, a waterproof bag and even that failed i i unfortunately destroyed a 23 amp hour that, that powered my depth finder in salt water uh, it was sometime early last year it is a bummer. Um, but that's one thing that's nice about the Torquillo batteries is that they're, that they're waterproof. The motor's waterproof. So is the throttle that, that whole system. Um, actually Russ Snyder's who I interviewed last week and did the video with, he, he flipped a, a boat down at Kissimmee and it was flipped over and he was on top of it for like over half an hour before someone came and helped him out in, uh, you yeah, know he lost some gear and and flipped it over and in i think he had like two rods left in in you know but he, but he went to the motor you know and just turned it off turned it back on fired up good to go so And that's one of the
2: things that you, it's really hard to translate into the price point because let's be honest, some people probably see the price point of these motors and they just automatically think like, that's, that's way too much money, but like it goes into the safety. If you're out there and you happen to have an emergency or a situation where you flip over, like, it sounds like you're not going to have any worries about getting that motor back up and getting to shore. Whereas some of these other do it yourself, like you said, it's gonna be be trouble at least for the motor and your battery, um, so that's definitely something to consider. The safety factor, I feel like, is a lot higher running something like that.
1: For sure, especially with lithium and the dangers with that, you know, which we we talked about a little bit on the last episode. But you know, I'm a firm believer of you get what you pay for. Um, if you want something that's quality, it's highly engineered to perform the way it's supposed to, and it's it's going to keep you safe. I mean. There's gonna be a, a little bit more of a price tag on that, but it's justified because of the amount of people that have put their stamp on and and made this this, whatever it is, um, the perfect thing, the perfect design for the version of it yeah. right. you know, instead yeah. of just throwing something together, using cheap materials, like you know, instead of the rare earth magnets, using cheap right. magnets and stuff like that. Um, so that's really you know, just like the cheaper boats, there's, there's a lot of cheaper kayaks on the market and a lot of cheaper pedal drives and stuff. But, you know, are you worried about breakage? Can you get parts? Do you have service? If it cracks, who are you going to call? You know, there's, there's so many different factors in that. Um, but, you know, really, I, when I buy something, I want, I want to spend my money and know that it's, it's going to be something that's going to hold up, it's going to take, you know, my abuse and my use, because I'm not, I'm not one that sits on the couch, you know. I like to be on the water, you know. Um, and aside from just the, you know, the German engineering behind the Torquedo and the the quality that I feel the product is, um, really the the reason that I got it was the uh, um, the the distance, the my range with it, um, because we're on big water, you know. I am the the Lake Erie kayak fishing guide uh, here in Ohio. Um, and there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. You know, I'm taking guys out that they're they're novices. They wouldn't be hiring me if they knew what they were doing. So now we get off one two miles offshore. Something goes wrong, or the weather pops up, or we get into a bad situation. All I have to do, I hook onto my client. I hit the torpedo. We motor to the dock. We're back to safety. Um, right. You know, on on top of that, just being able to cover more area on lake erie because walleye are migratory and uh you know unless you know where they are you're going to be pedaling a lot um and you know the torpedo definitely opens up that that opportunity as well
0: i know Uh, the safety part of it in terms of storms coming up is a big factor for me on the chesapeake especially in the summer that you will you look over your shoulder and be like yeah a couple clouds over there, it's a little bit dark, and then you you'll catch two or three more fish because you're just jigging on them, and they are just fired up and eating. And right. then you turn and be like, Oh my god, it's right there. Uh
2: this literally happened to us. Was it Friday? We were out fishing together. Yeah. And we had our backs to the to the weather, and we were just kind of trolling east in Lake Erie, and all of a sudden Chuck turned around. He's like, Whoa, he's <laughs> like, and then I turned around, you could see the rain coming down, and it looked like a kind of a a low lowly developed thunder. you know it wasn't a thunderstorm yet but it was definitely building into something and in the middle of summer it probably would have been a big thunderstorm but you know i've, I've
0: been out there and, and looked across and in, in the, the narrowest part of the chesapeake where i fish is is four miles across that's where the okay. the the chesapeake bay bridge is north of a, um, annapolis so mo- most of it is much more wide open than that um but i've looked across the bay in in been sitting in in glass calm, totally smooth, and looked out and said, that's a wall of white caps oh, right geez. there. Like, like it's calm here, white capping there, and that is advancing towards me.
2: Oh, you know?
0: And and yeah, it's it, you know, you're there are times where uh 7.6 miles per hour. I mean that's that's a lot of why I use that particular boat in your longer, skinnier boats are going to have that better speed. Um, the, the old town, your old town is gonna to do well. I think you're gonna be somewhere in that that upper sixes. You probably do six, seven, six, eight in that boat.
2: Um, is there any concern towing somebody, like adding that extra weight? Is there kind of like a weight limit there?
0: no? And I've done that with my buddies where the weather's coming in, and I will I will clip on to, you know, someone with a Hobie Pro Angler 14 here and someone with a wilderness. Systems, you know, attack 120 there, and it'll, you know, is the same motor that we that we used to as a kicker motor on a wallet boat that was over. We were over three thousand pounds. It was we a twenty that. foot Starcraft. It was <laughs> not a small wallet really? <laughs> So it's it, the weight capacity is not an issue. You're not going to maintain your same speed when you're solo, but you know, if you if you've still got the power and you you can chug along, it you know four and a half five is as, as opposed to six and a half, you know that's that's gonna get you and your buddies out quicker.
2: Yeah, in my head, I just envision you overworking the motor, you know, but maybe that's designed into the technology where it is. and
0: yeah. they're're they're conservative about about what the peak output can be and and they the they the test worst case scenario. I uh, will give you an example. Um, they they bench test so many different things, and uh, one of them is that the the, the battery box itself is is uh, it's actually brittle, and, and that's an unfortunate side effect to the fact that there's some there's a ceramic component to it that makes it so that if there is a lithium battery fire inside there, it will not burn its way out through that that case. Okay. So, it, but it makes it brittle. So when you Chuck, when you handle that battery, only handle that battery. Carrying it up to your vehicle, um, you know, the way that they tested that though to see that that hey, we've we've designed the engineering. It, you know, the, the the battery management system can has uh, pyrofuses that it tells hey, if it's getting it's getting hot enough. Just we're not, you know. It, it renders itself inoperable. Sure. Uh, there are individual fuses in each cell that do that. And then there's the battery management system that, that monitors, is this bank of cells uh, discharging at a higher rate than this one? They need to be balanced. Um, there are other things that it that the battery management system, you know, uh, monitors to make sure that it's it's operating safely. Because lithium, when there are lithium fires, they they're usually a result of, of letting too much power out too quickly and something gets hot. That's, that's a very simplified you know, way of, of, of saying, this is what happens, what goes wrong. Um, but they, you know, I, I, when I was there at one of the sales meetings in, in Gilching, Germany, I was like, why, why is the case so brittle? It sucks when people drop this thing. It's not like a kayak that gets a little dent in it and it's fine. It, it actually you can chip pieces out and then it's then it's not waterproof anymore, obviously. Like, yeah. And then you can get the the case, you know, the top or the bottom replaced by a service center. They said, well, and they explained the whole ceramic component in in how they how they I actually got about a 20 minute explanation of, of their testing of the worst case scenario. Um, they're really committed to safety and and at the end of the discussion the explanation i just kind of raised my hand like all right so i want to i want to make sure i get this right um y'all started a dumpster fire like a legit big ass fire in a dumpster lowered the battery down into it and it was there for 23 minutes yeah yeah this is right okay (laughs) And, and it didn't go it didn't blow up it didn't catch fire yeah and, and you took a digging bar and smashed it. Yeah, that is what we did. Okay, good. Uh, and then it still took another 18 minutes for it to catch and go. Yeah, that is what happened. I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, you, so you guys really yeah. play out and make sure that what you design is, is yeah.
1: Uh, it, it's know. invaluable because most people don't realize like we're, what is the most dangerous thing out on a boat? A fire. Yeah, you know yeah. i mean one of the most you know if your vessel is on fire and you're two three miles offshore what are you gonna do all right start swimming i mean you're gonna <laughs> try to splash water on it
2: i don't know <laughs> that i don't work, think you can put it right, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Um, so so that factor that you know i mean it's a trade-off just like anything else is it a little bit a little bit delicate well there's there's a massive value of safety there you know justifying that we always talk worst case
2: scenario and like you said the bmss on these batteries are designed to not get it to a position where you're in that situation
0: so one of you touched earlier on the whole range knowledge part of it um something that is in the battery is a there's a gps module in there and it tells you your speed which is very useful to have right there on the throttle because you know that if I got bit at, you know, 1.2 miles per hour, I need to keep going 1.2 miles per hour or whatever it is. That's not what they were thinking. That's not why they, the the Germans, they're really not a fishing uh, culture at all. Um, They're sort of lost when, when I try explaining fishing related things to them and they just, you know, they don't recreationally fish. It's useful in that way, but that's not why it's there. The reason it's there is so that an automatic calculation can be made that the top number is you have 46% of your battery left. The next number that it'll say is at this current throttle setting, uh, you have 8.2 miles of remaining range. The next number is your speed. It'll say you're going 2.9 2.9 miles per hour. And then the last one is 0 watts all the way up to 1100 watts. It's your it's your watt output. So you have speed, over land, you have battery percentage, and you have the the watt output. Those wow. three pieces of data calculate the fourth one, which is you have 6.7 miles of remaining range. And if you say I got to go seven, more, seven miles, not 6.7. You back off on the throttle to that number jumps up to seven.
2: Oh, that is so neat.
0: It's a, it's a real time constant updating and adjustment that even takes into account that, Hey, the wind just picked up and you got a, you got a headwind and all of a sudden your 6.7, uh, just dropped down to 5.9 because you're fighting a 20 mile an hour headwind. Okay, well, I still got to go seven. Let me back off. So instead of going, you know, five mile an hour, I'm going to go four point eight, and then it's amazing how how quickly you gain that range back. The right. most expensive um, mile per hour is the top mile per hour. So say my I have a Wilderness Systems Attack 140, one of the quicker ones. Uh, I think it it does seven point four and if I were to back off from 7.4, which which at that speed, I think I can run something a little bit less than an hour. You know,
1: that's non-stop
0: That's 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 all out go. And then the battery in less than an hour is done. If I drop it down to 6.4, I've doubled it. And all of a sudden I'm running for an hour and 40 minutes instead of something less than an hour. You know, your top mile per hour is half of your peak output. So, in, you know, if you, if you play that down all the way where, where it's this, this, not quite exponential, but there is a relationship that is like exponential use of power, right. where if you drop it down to, say, 500 watts instead of 1,000, well, guess what? You're, instead of going 7 point something, you're going 5.4. Which is still moving, and and you've and you've, you know, you've cut your peak output in yeah. in half, but you're still maintaining a good bit of speed. So, with that remaining range number that's constantly updated, it, it helps you keep keep tabs. And and Chuck, you're you're going to know it pretty quick because you keep you keep tabs on on your distances. You you do things and I like to do it with the angler app, but you can I mean, do it with a defender or, or any number of different ways to, to say, start trip. And at the end of the trip, you end trip. And then, you know, we did 19.2 miles. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you know, for instance, hey, that's the longest trip I'm gonna do in the period of time that I have, you can set it at a speed that, that your remaining range is 19.2. And then you say, okay, cool. This has me going. Uh, 5.4 miles per hour there's never any reason to go less than 5.4 miles per hour or whatever it would be so
2: right. it probably is a, an exponential curve I would think just because the faster you go the more drag you're creating with the boat and there's obviously like a limit to that right and then as you back up, back off you're creating less drag and less work on the motor so you're going to get more range as you do that but I don't know it's there's there's also a huge
0: relationship between um, the length of the wetted surface, how long the boat is, okay, and the weight of the boat, somewhat, but seating position, and it's all right. it's all about this right here. So so say my pen is is the kayak okay. when it rides like this, it's efficient. So when you stop riding- on that motor and it goes like this. So the and then your length of wetted surface is only from there uh, to there instead of there to there. Okay. If you put uh you know 83 pounds of soft plastic and jig heads in in your you know your black pack back here, it goes like this a little bit more. Basically If if your seat is here instead of here. It's going to do that even more, and all of a sudden, your length of wetted surface is like that. And this little piece at the bottom is creating this this vortice, this this uh, energy sucking. Uh, the right? rooster tail. The rooster tail. See, people see the rooster tail, they think, "Wow, that looks awesome and powerful." A rooster tail is in you know what I'm calling that that vortice, that that water churning at the back of a boat is a sign of inefficiency. The most efficient boats that I that I've been on they close up very quietly and it's and it's there's very little disturbance on the backside. Hmm. And usually it's a longer boat uh, with the seat forward and it doesn't weigh a lot. And in, in my wilderness systems Thresher 155 is, I think, an 80 pound boat. 15 and a half feet long and uh, the seats pretty far forward. And in, in almost every boat that I'm in, I will I, when I test it, I will crouch forward on the seat mm. in order to get to get move my weight from here to here. And it pushes that nose down. And that makes it that makes that's how I get my best speed out of it. it and I'll whatever tackle I'm carrying, if I can carry it under the seat on the back of the seat or somewhere forward in the boat, that's going to help me more. The oh. further back, you put your gear weight in the in the back. The, the other thing of it is that those concepts we're all operating within the displacement range of speeds we're not planing. we're just not people like to talk about it but it's it's not happening um we're moving fast but we're it's displacement propulsion those still those concepts still work with with a paddle or a pedal drive so as much gear weight as you can move forward, if you have an adjustability of your seat to move that forward, that will help you so you know the the length of wetted surface is is everything the the overall weight of the boat is is something and uh the seat position moving your weight forward in the boat also helps
2: yeah I mean a small adjustment and me personally two hundred ten pounds of beef uh, would make a big difference in uh the way the boat is positioned on the water i would assume mm-hmm. something i never thought of because i always figured the further back you're sitting or the you know further back the boat is sitting in the water it would be better but um i i don't know just something for me to go out and research a little because obviously i don't know about uh, fluid dynamics and stuff like that but.
0: so i i have a a video on the on my youtube channel that that it's it's a very simple brief video but it's I keep track of boats that I test with the 1103 in their top end speed, their length. Um, and and the other one is this, I call it the seat ratio. It's, it is the distance from the stern okay. to the rear of the seat pan okay. Whatever that length is divided by the whole length, right? And all the ones that perform better are Forty-one percent, forty-five percent. Those are the ones that do well. The ones that perform poorly, even some very long skinny boats, have thirty-two percent of the boat behind the seat. Wow. Ones that, wow. and I don't, I don't want to name them because I hate, yeah, going on a particular boat because someone out there is listening and owns that boat. But the yeah. further forward the seat is, and and the longer that distance is from rear of the seat pan to the stern. You know, the, the more you lengthen that, the better the, the better propulsion efficiency you're gonna have, even with a
2: paddle. With the motor, I mean that's so I'm looking at my kayak out the window right now, but um, you know, I'm six foot three, so I have that seat pushed all the way back. Um, and if I pushed it forward, I would be pretty jammed up on the pedals. But when you're talking about motors and stuff, I could I could definitely slide the seat up if I didn't have those pedals in the way. But that's really cool. I'm gonna go measure now when we're done talking. <laughs> See if I so can increase my efficiency somehow.
0: The, the article I wrote for Kayak Angler Magazine a couple of years ago was, the, the title was why you should bring a tape measure to the next demo day.
2: Okay. And it was
0: about that. It was it was measuring rear the seat pan to the stern divided by the whole length of the boat. And, and that, it, it translates. It definitely translates to um, how much effort you put into it with a pedal drive. How much effort you put into uh you know into it with the paddle and how much effort the motor works or doesn't work and and how long that battery lasts
2: yeah
0: you know when when i did the thresher the first time yeah 7.6 mile per hour is cool but i don't use it at 7.6 very often i will use it at 3.4 miles per hour all day long on the chesapeake trolling and moving from spot to spot in in uh you know and jigging spots in between those are my destination places where we've you know where i know that there's oyster reefs and stuff like that that i will go to and jig on but in between 3.4 miles per hour in the the range with that is I would have to look it up, but it's it's you know it's way north of of 40 miles.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I think uh with mine or with with my boat, the old town sportsman, I know it's over like 120 for uh for one mile an hour consistently, I believe. Wow. Yeah. I think it was like 119 or something. Yeah. So, some,
0: the, of them, some of them you get them to one mile an hour and the range is 305 miles. yeah.
1: <laughs> That's incredible. And, you know, for, for us, we're trolling for walleye, maybe somewhere around two on average, you know, what so.
0: that, what that works out to functionally is, is a trip where you say, Hey, I know that the right depth for this time of year is way out there. I'm going four miles out Yeah. and maybe we're going to go, you know, say low fives, get there, you know, get, get there in less than an hour. Right which is, is cruising, and, you're, and you're, you're eating up, you know, 500 watts in, uh, you know, it wouldn't even be that. You know, you're going to get out there and have used, like, say, 38 or 40% of the battery, and then you need that same power to get back, and in between you have that, that you know, 18 or, 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 you know, say 18% of the battery left. 18%, once you're already four miles out, is at one mile an hour is forever. It's is like a ridiculous amount of, yeah. of, of energy at one mile an hour. So it's it's gonna get you to and from these these four mile an hour out places quick, and then you can slow it down and do the trolling you need to. Right. You get back just as quick. So, and, and that's I'm sure that a lot of what, you know, Chuck, you'll you're gonna figure it out. You're gonna you're gonna get dialed in and be like, okay, uh, maybe we don't make the four mile run all at once. We do, we do two and a half to this area. And then we just we we there's a good, you know, there's a good area we go back and forth on for a while. And then and then once we're done with that line, if we're picking them up great, then then we stay there. If we're not, we're going another mile and a half out. And and it's not a big deal.
1: You know, and the uh, the other thing that I'm pretty excited about um, with the Torquedo, like you said, it has the GPS uh, built into the battery. So, you know, down to the 10th, exactly how fast you're going, you know, and, and that's pretty crucial. Well, Lake Erie has uh, some underwater currents that that we're kind of just starting to dig into and dive into. Um, and uh, you're probably familiar with the fish Hawk, which uh, is a device you drop down and, and it'll tell you like what the actual speed is down there. Um, right. So a lot of times you think you you know it's like oh they're biting at one eight while you're going one eight while your lure is doing one one or two five right so having that ability with the torpedo to dial in my speed once I because yeah, I don't have a fish hawk um, yeah <laughs> once I figure out you know once I get a fish hawk and I add that to the equation I mean it, it just the the opportunities are endless and and the ability for me to grow and learn as an angler on the great lakes it's just like i'm so, it's it's so exciting to me because i can dissect it you, you know we're a lot of like we're very scientific uh, out on the water and uh man it just uh i don't even know what to say i'm just i'm so excited to get that thing put on and maybe see borrow a fish hawk and try it out <laughs> <something>. <laughs> well
2: just knowing how fast you're going is a lot because you can reproduce that like you said if you hit a fish at a certain speed you know you're going that speed you know right good information to have instantaneously and
1: and if you have you know you have a community of other anglers that are out there with you you know you might be able to get a hold of bob that's two three miles south and you know he's running his fish hawk and he knows exactly what speed he's going yeah and use it it right on that aspect as well but that's that's my biggest challenge is like on days like today where you know we're out there in three to four footers i mean maintaining the same boat speed with a pedal drive or a paddle is is tough right mm-hmm. Well, that's neat sounds like there's a lot
2: of good technology coming out um anything new and exciting on the horizon i'm sure you're always looking at something <laughs> torpedo wise yeah
0: nothing i can talk about they, yeah they're, right <laughs> they're actually really good at um you know at holding back until it's released and I got a little bit of uh my hand slapped when you know I had mentioned to two people that I think are high enough in the organization and they didn't they didn't flinch when I said that I was going to release the 1103 at ICAST 2019 and then a a tidal wave of people who were pissed that I did it and 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 it worked it launched it people were excited they understood I can't get it till 2020, but they know it's coming and they got to test drive it. Like at the, at the ICAST um, on water demo, I think it's like a, I think it's a, uh, like a two or three hour window of, of you know, you can go there and, and test things and, and, but whatever it was, uh, everyone else had already broken down their booth, taken on, down their their tents and left, and I still had people in line waiting to test it. Oh wow! Five minutes afterwards, and yeah. and you know that was a huge success, and it was a good calculated like yeah, we're gonna show this, and and it it's it's something that was powerful enough and unique enough in the in the market that it's you know we do have some copycats now on the on the uh, on the lower end of the the power spec spectrum and there's some things that are for sure patent infringements but uh-huh. at that level there's nothing close you know and you know we i let it fly and in there are two people that said yeah i knew he was going to do that and, and like a bunch of other people that were upset with me because that's not how they release things they <clears throat> they don't they don't put them out until they're ready and they usually do it in a european boat show and i'm like no, this is an American product. I mean, it's 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 made in Germany, with with um, you know an American vision, an American application in in my you know testing it on all you know on this market on all these different boats. Um, so so yeah, the other stuff that's coming, I can't really you right. know. But but this one yeah I got my hand slapped a little bit on the eleven oh three but that's okay it, it worked out they're happy now because they were selling the heck out of them
1: right <laughs> yeah there I did notice there are there are at least one or two knockoffs out there um, and the biggest differentiating factor for me and you know I I went through electronic engineering and all that stuff um, so I look at the electric system and when you're using lithiums and you're using a motor you know, at least with the Torquedo, the batteries matched to the motor. It's that whole system is complete. There's no chance for failure. The connections are sealed. They, they're they screw tight, so they don't come loose. Um, for me, that's, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of potential problems that are eliminated with that setup, you know. There is,
0: there's a, there's a Facebook page called Motorized Kayak Fishing, and the majority of what's on there is people asking questions and getting advice from people who have tried different things, burned up stuff, figured out that this doesn't work, you know, which I think it's called the pulse wave modulator, the, the little dial that is basically your throttle, um, you know, and, and you still don't have a really specific idea of how much power is left. And I don't know, like it's, it's, uh, there there's a lot of things that you can diy and sure. and there are there are some people that are knowledgeable enough to do it all do you know to do it justice with electronics right. But for most people most people can figure out plastic welding most people can figure out drilling holes in the boat and getting enough goop on there when you put your hardware on that you don't get water in the boat right most people can't figure out lithium battery safety and in in yeah. you
1: know draw and yeah and all that good stuff
0: right so well wow. a big part of it
2: definitely yeah. exciting i don't i'm not currently running a motor but i'll see how chuck fares here and maybe well
1: <laughs> you know i'm sure i'll be towing him here and yeah then. right
0: <laughs> so what happens is and and i talked to uh to russ down at eufaula in alabama i actually installed his 1103 he upgraded from the 403 to the 1103 the night before the tournament which he ended up winning he got first out of 110 or whatever it was he he gets first all the time like he's leading in two of the three big tournament trails but i told him there is such thing as a a torpedo slump so what this is supposed to make me better angler not i'm like hear me out there are two things that you can do that are fun on a kayak with a torpedo. One is catch fish. Russ already knows how to catch fish. Um, But the other thing is to go fast. And if you fall so in love with going fast that you forget to to slow down and do what you've always done to catch fish, I've seen it happen. I've seen good anglers have a slump and not understand. And this is how it manifests. They say, all right, we're over here. And uh, we got a couple bites, but we think it could be better over here. Let's yeah. go over there. Toom, and we're up there. All right. Well, they're they're not biting here. But then we look back at, at, at this spot here, and now the wind's blowing on that. Let's run back there. Okay. Now they're not biting there. All right. Let's try over here. Uh, and and before too long, you're just two, 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 running all over the place, and you've all of a sudden cut down on how much time your line is in the water. Right. So that's one way. You know, you've 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 developed a skill set with whatever human power don't abandon that one of the skill set the second thing that can can kind of work that you just need to be knowledgeable about um and really think through one of the advantages that that we have as kayak anglers is stealth we're a small boat we come up on a place usually pretty slow but you'll know chuck you've seen it with me I, i did it to you on the chesapeake a couple times so you understand where i run at you and i turn and i cut and i'm i create as much of a wake with that boat as a as a bigger boat can right don't wake your fish yeah if you're if you're and this i think applies more to the bass fishing maybe than the walleye in in deeper water but you know if you're zooming around and you you're pushing up on a spot and then you shut it down and you start jigging on it they feel that they know that if you're coming up on a reef and it's say it's shallow, say it's you know you're only in 16 feet. Right. Don't run right. up on it full speed and in and, and shut it down and, and start jigging on and expect it to happen. Ease up. You've got that waypoint, you know, when you're when you're 50 yards out, you should probably be at half throttle. When you're 20 yards out, you should be creeping in on it.
1: Hmm. Right. So yeah.
0: that stealth aspect of of not throwing a wake on your fish is important. So interesting. Two pieces of advice for you once you get that thing rigged up and but the you know what I think what it'll really give you is uh is the ability to to get to places that not that you couldn't because I've done it on my legs with you and I know you're capable of a lot. (laughs) Not that you can't, but that how often do you make a long run somewhere? How often do you find that you have the security to go someplace that you see on a map and you're like, I bet they're there. But that's a big commitment.
1: Yeah. That's like,
0: like we've got four hours left to fish and that's an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back. Nothing's happening here. We've tried. (laughs) But then you get the, you know, you're like, I've got 48% battery left. Hell yeah, we're doing it. Let's uh, go.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> That's when it is going to turn into you learning spots that are that are your spots that are that you expand your your base of of, you know, hey, on a day like this, they're gonna be out here where I've never been before. Right. Uh, but oh. they're gonna be there because they did it, you know, at this other place 20 miles in the other direction. It looks the same. Let's make a run out to it
1: right
0: you're going to expand you know where you explore a lot
2: that's that's exciting yeah I, man jeff you you're full of wisdom and knowledge and uh, i feel like we didn't touch on a lot of the things that we wanted to as far as your
1: small mouth you know experience and stuff uh, but well like i told jason going into this i said uh you know you want to meet one of the most interesting and knowledge knowledgeable people in the kayak fishing industry well you know we might get uh we might get a little taste of the cookie but (laughs) yeah
2: right exactly
1: (laughs) it's just there's there's so much knowledge that you have and so much experience um you know that that uh to share with the world yeah but you know that's why
0: one thing is i keep going after going after more of it in in i've through my employment now and and the model of what I do, the marketing that I do with, with these video cameras is I find people who have high level knowledge who are highly successful. And, and yes, I do go after the tournament side of things, but you know, some of it it's, you know, it's not all tournament. It's like with Rob Alderman with those, you know, 50 plus inch reds, you know, right. For down in the Chesapeake, you know, I'm going to get his knowledge and and I capture that and I and I put it on the YouTube channel. I put it on Torquedo Kayak Fishing on Facebook and and then I I try to interact as much as I can to to. And, and, you know, if it's if it's something that becomes too much of a Torquito commercial. It wouldn't be working. It's, right. it's legitimate fishing knowledge. And and yes, I do product placement in there. I got to. They're they're paying for me to it's your livelihood. the country and do this, but it's it's good knowledge. Like the you know, the interview with uh I did one with um Matt Elliott and Kevin Holash, which it, it, they're nobody in kayak fishing, but they they're a um electric only John Boat team that won all six of their tournaments last year. Every tournament wow. in this series. They got first place. Wow. There's was, was 28 boats in their series, first place, first place, first place, first place, first place, first place. All of them, they ran the table. Wow! And I got out on on uh, Lock Raven Reservoir and interviewed them and just just pulled that knowledge out, out of them. And a lot of that was on electronics, on how they use you know the hummingbird solix and the Garmin Panoptics in, in conjunction so that they can say. Yep, we have uh, three bass on a school of of, uh, of shad. They are thirty feet out that way, but we don't know how deep they are. Okay, let's turn the panoptics to them. Okay, yeah, they're in yeah they're in eight wow. feet over twelve. Okay, let's let's pitch a um, you know a um, <clears throat> a blade bait out there and rip it up through them and fish on. You yeah. know, it's yeah. it's getting finding people that have. Unique knowledge beyond my own. If I just relied on my own, my YouTube channel wouldn't be worth. I mean, it'd be worth a lot, but it's but it'd be fairly limited. Um, sure. When I go out and I I go down to Pensacola, Florida, and we do a whole series on offshore kayak fishing with Matthew Van, who's a kayak fishing guide down there, and teaches you how to tie up king rigs and teaches how to do a surf launch and how to jig, you know, for red snapper, and then we do a night trip for redfish underneath the lights of a you know a bridge we stay out all night and someone who said do a bull shark and you know there's all kinds of crazy stuff on there but I'm always hungry hungry for who the you know who the next person is that I can I can collect their knowledge and um, and I got to come back up there with you
1: Chuck yeah definitely looking forward to that Um, because
0: you have some unique knowledge that I you know we filmed a little bit uh and i and i never published it but i need to come back up once once your your exploration has exploded and you've figured out some new things with with that tool
1: yeah maybe fall maybe <laughs> yeah fall would be a good trip yep awesome we'll to
0: i i gotta work in a visit to fish usa to to make sure that torquido foots the bill oh it's a dealer yeah. visit
1: yeah, yeah well you know there's uh there's awesome smallmouth right not too far from fish usa right? right and then we can always you know head to head to cleveland and fish uh fish out here i mean depending on the time of year we might be able to uh find them out there you know because the 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 walleye do migrate east right so i mean midsummer they're probably going to be not too far from fish usa right. pretty heavy yeah I'm always um, up to travel, you know me. <laughs> Just so like hey, I'll, I'll try
0: to I mean the 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 steelhead thing was a lot of fun, but uh, it I you know I think I think a walleye trip to really nail down everything you do would be would be fun.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, wow. well, hey, it uh, I learned a lot. Um, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's definitely a a massive amount of of knowledge and information that uh, that you still um, I don't I don't want to say hold because it's all on your YouTube channel. So I'll definitely link the YouTube channel and probably a couple of select videos down there as well. Um, And uh, and some of the um, some of the playlists, you know, uh, that way, anybody that's interested, they can actually get there and uh, and, you know, pick your brain on that aspect. Cool. But I appreciate you coming on yeah, and uh, spending, lot. spending the time with having you. me. That's great. Awesome. All right. Talk Let's to you soon, you. Jeff. Okay. See thanks. You. Bye.
2: Hey folks. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new along the way. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at yaktasticducafishing at gmail.com or look me up on Facebook.
1: Hey guys, Chuck Earls here. You can reach me on social media. You can send me an email, drop me a line. I will link all my contact information down in the description below. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. We will see you on the next episode. And remember, for me, fishing is life.